0: Well, we're very excited to be here with you for these three days. We've met you a number of you, all of you who were here early. We had a bit of a chat with some of you, but just to fill you in a little bit about who is this old dude who's come to usurp our pastors, uh, and it's not like that. Uh, so, do um, and I have four daughters, adult daughters and our second eldest daughter Sally who's here and she's been our Uber driver for this morning uh, which is very much appreciated. As you can see Joan, is you've heard of a blue tooth, well Joan's got a blue leg and uh, it's in, in uh, plaster which she hopes to get off tomorrow uh, and uh, that'll make us mobile again a little more. Um, we've got 12 grandkids, six boys, six girls and uh, we've had a lot of joy out of our grandkids. All of you ought to look forward to being grandparents, it's the best time in life and our grandkids are all awesome. Uh, Sally's third eldest is is Charlie who is yeah, married himself now but when he, and he was a little boy. They they lived next door to us, so we saw a lot of them. And and uh, uh, once I was out just chopping some wood and doing some stuff out in the yard, and and Charlie came up to talk to me. He probably would have been uh, six or seven, I suppose, at that stage. And uh, so he's watching what I'm doing, and he then he pipes up and he says, uh, "Grandad," he said, "if you." If you didn't see me for, say, a week, would you forget what I looked like? And uh, I said, no, no, that's not going to happen. And he says, what about if you didn't see me for two weeks, would you forget me? And I said, no, Charlie, I'll never forget you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, and I'm kind of thinking, this is getting a, something funny going on here. Then he said, what about if you didn't see me for a real, real long time, would you remember me? And I said, sure, Charlie, I'm not going to forget you. And then it all just went quiet for a minute or two. And he said, Grandad, knock, knock. And I said, who's there? He said, Grandad, you've forgotten me already. So, <laughs> so, so he, he developed a sense of humour very early in life. Um, the, the thing that I like about what we're going to do here for the next three weeks is the uh, restoration, renewal and renewed passion and energy that it's going to put in pastors uh, Chris and Ruth. And uh, I hope that when they come back, you are all over them and telling them how, how uh, uh, devoted you are to them in this church because they've done an awesome job. We've known, uh, Joe and I have known Chris since he was in school. So we've done the a lot of the journey of life we've championed the cause of of c3 here at Gosford from a distance over many years and at different times have had connection we were here for your opening and very excited about getting this property and now we're back to see how it all operates and and that is is pretty exciting uh, Chris and Ruth came around for coffee the other day and and uh, so I asked Chris what would you uh, what should I be preaching on? What would you like me to preach about? And he said, why don't you just preach about Jesus? So I thought, that's a pretty radical thought, you know, C <laughs> C3, a bit of a cult preaching about Jesus. Um, no, actually, I thought that was awesome. And so I thought, well, we'll just do a a, uh, a particular focus on Jesus because, you know, Pastor Chris was saying that that's, you've been uh, focusing in on Jesus himself. So I want to talk to you over the next three weeks about some of the incredible invitations that Jesus gave. Jesus was a master inviter and uh, I've got a particular one that I want to talk about today. Um, Maybe during the week uh, you can have a go at guessing what the other invitations would be. If you read through the gospel you'll find that there are Invitations all the way through it And uh, uh, Jesus' invitations are awesome I don't know, uh, Prince Harry and, and Megan. Anybody got their invitations yet? No, uh, you're probably disappointed about that But if you did, it would be a pretty compelling invitation uh, Two weeks I think Is that right? Anyway, there's been a lot of talk about it and I've been ignoring uh, when it is. Um, But the the question is, what makes an invitation compelling? Um, When uh, Pastor Christian Ruth invited us, because it came by way of invitation, uh, would we come and uh, spend some time with with you guys while they take a break and it was a compelling invitation for us. I mean, they didn't put pressure on but we didn't want to say no because of the history we've got with them, because of our, our, our trust and esteem for them and so on. We just didn't want to say no uh, and some invitations are like that. When you get them, you just can't say no. Everybody know what I'm talking about. Those other invitations that you get, and immediately you get the invitation, you're already trying to figure out what else you can have on that time. Uh, and there's been a, you've, we've all had a few invitations like that. So, uh, what makes uh, an invitation that compelling? This is a very interesting question, I think, because because Jesus was uh, so uh, locked into invitations which he he right through his three years of ministry and many many of them uh that if we are going to be like christ we've also got to get to be good inviters is that right how to i'm sure that we've all invited somebody to church and they've done what we sometimes do they've immediately thought of a reason why they can't be here anybody been frustrated out of their brains trying to get somebody to church that just won't respond to the invitation. So uh, I, I think that we can pick some stuff up about how Jesus invited to see if we can lift our level of skill in inviting to make our invitations uh, exciting and compelling would be, would be a good thing. Um, I, I do know this, that whether uh, an invitation is compelling or not, Uh, I just wrote down a couple of things uh, that will impact on that. Number one is who's doing the inviting? Uh, You know, so don't I get invitations to preach around the place, but particularly when Chris and Ruth asked, uh, it carried a, a little more impetus because of our connection and our relationship and our friendship over the years. So who's doing the inviting? Is a powerful thing. Uh, how that invitation is delivered. Uh, a little boy came to visit us with his dad yesterday, and the first thing he did when he when he got to our place was that he brought out an invitation to his to his birthday. He's going to turn five. He was so proud of his invitation. It had all been hand lettered and so on. So sometimes, how the invitation is given can be very powerful. The way in which it's presented, the desirability of what is offered, or we're being invited to something, but do we really want it? Is this We, we run through this little what's in it for me uh, scenario and we think, yes, I, I, yes, it's yes, yes, I want to do that. And then how personal it is. Sometimes uh, people will make an announcement and you're all invited and it kind of uh, loses something compared to your name being on it, and I really want you there. And uh, the thing is, with Jesus' invitations, uh, they all had that personal touch. Even His whosoever invitations had a personal touch on them. That's why we re- we respond to them. You know, the uh, the John three sixteen for whoever believes in Him. We love to put our own names in there. If John will re- respond then he will have everlasting life to make it compelling. Uh, so here's our invitation today. It's in Matthew chapter 11 uh, from, and verse 28. You can turn your Bible or uh, it'll come up on the screen, I think. This is from the New Living Translation. Then I want to read this again from the the message. Then Jesus said, you'll have to read back to what Jesus is talking about. But he's, he's talking to a... Just let me fill you in, and we'll read the scripture. This crowd was a composite crowd. It had Pharisees, probably Sadducees, a few religious leaders, had some political leaders there. It had a there's a bunch of people. In amongst the people are also a number of people who are under the hand of these leaders and so on. So, in the first part of this chapter, Jesus talks. To the leaders, he's not very kind to them. He's talking to them about why they didn't, why they haven't responded to his message, and so on. And then he turns, and now he's talking to the people who are, uh, you know, under these leaders. And he says these words. Then Jesus said, "Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest." I particularly picked this passage, of course. Uh, It had some bearing on it. The pastors, Chris and Ruth, are doing exactly this. They're, They're responding to Jesus' invitation to rest. That's exactly what they're doing. But I've got a feeling that you do too, and I do too. Then he says, Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, To bear and the burden I give you is light. Let me read it to you from the Message Bible. I love this. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch. How I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's beautiful. I love that. You know, we kind of uh, live in a world that is, is uh, stressed out. Jesus did too, of course. There's probably uh, there's probably never been a time when the world hasn't been stressed out by something. To these people that Jesus was talking about, uh, obviously they're occupied by the, by Rome. they they've been invaded, if you want to use that term. We don't know anything about that in Australia. Praise God, and uh, let's trust that we never will. But an inv- invade invading force, forcing their rule on them so that Ro- there's a visibility of Rome everywhere. Then they've got the Jewish rulers who uh, you know put a heavy load on them, hundreds of rules of how you should behave and whether you should uh, measuring up and, and your expectations. They were tired and worn out from politics, religion, and probably many, many other things. Uh, but I, the thing I love about this is that this actually speaks to our generation and our world probably even more than Jesus' world. There's been a lot of wars, a lot of, a lot of improvements, if you want to think it that way, in our civilised way of life. We've got more gadgets, more things that will do stuff for us more machines that will do for us what we used to do and yet our society is more stressed out than it is, has ever been. Is that true or not? I kind of, uh, you know, sort of watch the, the news, there's always uh, uh, another item about the mental health issues in our society and the, the, the flow on effect of that. Uh, in social behaviour and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, I hope you don't mind, Sally, just tell that little story you told us on the way to church. But Sally t- teaching up at Gorokan High, at Gorokan Primary School, and uh, she's got a little bo- a little autistic boy in one of her classes and this little boy was, uh, he ran up the stairs. Why don't you come out and tell it? I'll get it wrong. Give her a hand. All right, so I was actually on playground duty and a little boy with autism had gone up the stairs, which is out of bounds. If you're a teacher, you know that phrase. Um, And this other kid follows me around every time I'm on duty and he says, why is that little boy up there? I said, well, I'm keeping an eye on him, that's okay. He says, yeah, well, you need to make him come down. And I'm thinking, two minutes to the bell, I can pursue it and escalate it and the kid will have a freak out or I can let him go. And I actually said to this kid, no, I'm going to leave him because he has autism. He said, autism, what's that? I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And then he turns around and goes, well, I've got anxiety. <laughs> so. I know we have a bit of a laugh, but they—they, they, I was reading about a a, um, a survey that was done by the Psychological Association in America and and they are actually quizzing different generations alive today. So they quiz my generation, older generation, asking about stress levels and how anxious they are about life and, and how stressed they're feeling and so on. And uh, what they discovered, which is uh, borne out by things that you and I are, are, are hearing on our TVs and, and so on, is that the younger generation is more stressed out. As the generations get younger, they're more stressed out, uh, so there's stuff for my generation to to get anxious about and worried about, and and all that kind of stuff, and uh, we absorb a little bit of that. And trying to read what Jesus says about coming to me when you feel like that, and and allow rest to flow through you. Um, but the generation under us is even more stressed out and now they're, they're actually the reason why i picked that story up that sal shared we were just driving to church and she she told us that story is that they reckon that kids today are more stressed out than their generation has ever been so you know when we read the invitation of jesus when we read the gospels Uh, We'd be very, very foolish if we thought, oh, that was for that time. It doesn't apply today. No, it applies. Let me tell you, it applies more than it ever has uh, that we need this invitation to rest. Um, So how do you go about that? This is what I want to unpack a little bit this morning just to to say, yeah, we've read the scripture. We hear the invitation. But how do we we go about it? we know that when we're worn out, it helps to have a break. And you can, you can read your dials. You've got little indicators. On uh, Sometimes it will come in irritability. Sometimes it'll come in wanting to withdraw. Sometimes it'll come with just the can't be bothered response to, to life and we want to sit it out a little bit and we can feel that coming on our lives which is an indication that we've pushed too hard too long and we need to have a break we're we're worn out and as I was um, getting this just preparing for this and praying about and just asking the Holy Spirit how we can actually grab hold of some of these truths here this morning uh, I it just dawned on me that one of the antonyms of rest is restless and Restless is, is not fatigued, it's not being worn out, it's being wound up, is restless. And we live, it suddenly dawned on me that yes, sometimes we're physically tired, sometimes we've gone too hard too long and we just need to down tools and have the break, but there's another aspect that's happening in our lives as well that is actually producing a restlessness in us. So that even when we we uh, uh, you know go to bed, there's where uh, insomnia is out there because our our minds are racing and we feel so wound up about stuff. And it's not about just about being worn out, but sometimes it is about being wound up. And we need to actually disconnect from that. So rest is it's more than sleep, it's more than recreation. These things will help. It's more than just escapism. Uh, one of the things that I notice is that we live, I think, in the most entertained generation that this planet has ever seen. There's, there's football on every night of the week, praise God. Uh, if, <laughs> uh, if you're into that, uh, if you want to watch movies, you can Netflix, you can you binge watch until you're square-eyed uh, and we can entertain, entertain, entertain and it's escapism And it is actually not producing a more relaxed me and it's not producing a more relaxed us. It's actually winding us up and leaving us frustrated uh, when the escapism stops and we're ready to face reality again. We're not prepared for it. And uh, so what Jesus says is absolutely true. Actually, uh, rest is more than just inactivity as well. Sometimes you can do the down tools thing and stop everything, and you can actually get tired doing nothing. Have you noticed that? Uh, And so there are different ways in which we expend our energy and get to this point where Jesus is saying, you guys look so worn out and so burdened. Why don't you come to me and live life differently? Um, And it is. I was thinking just about how this thing works and uh, I uh, believe that we actually need rest on three different levels and I want to share these three levels with you and maybe this will help uh, some of us here this morning the first the first level is our physical rest uh, if you expend a lot of energy doing a practical task you will get tired and uh, uh, the the solution for that is in, being instituted uh, by God and it's called Sabbath rest it means it, one seventh of your life you know you can you can break it down to the Sabbath the day this the one day of the week but I kind of think it is it is a bigger principle than that. Uh, I think if you if you say one seventh one sixth seventh of my life I ought to be actually active and energetic doing practical things one seventh I need to chill out and and put the stuff down and stop doing it uh, there's um, uh, you know I can. Joan and I can remember, there was some advantages in getting old. You can kind of remember uh, things that used to happen. We we remember the day there were no shops open on a Sunday. You basically couldn't do that. And now, uh, not only can we get out of church here today and, and take ourselves off to the shop, but all the people who are rostered on. So it, our life is not actually geared to provide that Sabbath for you anymore. You've actually got to do it for yourself. There was a time... When Sabbath was forced on us, stuff had closed, you just couldn't do it. It was like Anzac Day every, every Sunday. Uh, no shops open or whatever, you just actually had to ch- do the chill thing. Now we've actually got to stop ourselves. And the more pressure that comes on... I can remember different times in our lives where we've been uh, renovating or doing something that had some kind of deadline and we would do the all-night thing and, and uh, put in the extra hour. We've just got to get it finished. We've just got to get it finished. At the end of it, you are absolutely wiped, but you've done the thing. But it's actually not a, not a sustainable lifestyle. It's not... You can sustain it for a little while. And you can see the feel the needle going into that red zone. But somewhere along the line, hopefully before you collapse in a heap, you will down tools and stop and chill out and rest. That's why, like Jesus, because they walked everywhere in those days, it's amazing to me that the more gadgets we get, the more tired we become, the more burdened we become, all of these things that are supposed to enrich our lives and enable us to do life easier – actually produces more tension and more angst often than ever before. The Sabbath rest hasn't gone out of fashion. It is still there for you and for me. And I know that I'm talking to somebody here this morning. And as you sit and you listen to this, if you hear nothing else, listen to the Holy Spirit saying to you, you need to take your break. Some people, you know, sometimes you ask a person how they're going, and they're very proud to tell you, oh, I'm busy. As if busy, you're supposed to clap them. Oh, you're busy. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're busy. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, th- we think, well, I don't want to say I'm on a break. You know, that doesn't sound cool. We actually become proud of never downing tools. We, prou- we become proud of being able to go longer and harder than anybody else. And it's killing us. And so I just put that out to you. There's more to come because I want to talk some other aspects of of, of rest as well. But physical rest you will only get uh, replenishing if you stop doing what you're doing. And it's relatively uh, quick. I know that uh, I've had a couple of health issues in which I've had to, da- to reduce my my physical activity and now I'm starting to build it back up again because I've discovered that when I'm physically active, I'll actually sleep better and it's actually the, st- the sleep that restores you. Uh, so uh, uh, i just throw that out for you. We're all in this together. Um, actually doing nothing for too long because there's always another side to this, this thing. There's always two sides to the coin and uh so i'm theoretically retired um one of the problems with people who retire like me is that they stop doing stuff and you only have to stop doing stuff for a short while and you will get tired doing nothing and your mood will slump You will go into depression doing nothing. So there's actually a balance in this thing. That's why the Bible says, work your butt off for six days. Don't forget that bit. And then take a day off. And that combination is the winning combination for sustainability. That's how you keep going. You get fulfilment, you get joy, you get energy, you sleep well, you have a break. The week goes on, the next week starts and you can keep going indefinitely like that. If you miss the, the, the six days of doing something productive and exciting and rewarding, then, you know, going to the North Coast and sitting on Byron Bay Beach is not all that it's cracked up to be. Uh, it works for a couple of days. Uh, That's not a lifestyle, it's not a sustainable lifestyle And if you go up there you'll find plenty of people who've chosen that lifestyle And it actually hasn't resulted in a sustainable, productive, uh, stress-free life as much as you think it would Um, So, uh, Joan's had her leg in the cast now for six weeks It's been killing me, I've been doing washing, I've been cooking (laughs) had the vacuum out, I can hardly wait for tomorrow, bring Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> but we know because she hasn't been walking that her, her, she'll need to exercise that leg. And that's what happens when, if we, if we do the all or nothing and we work ourselves to a standstill, then we stop completely, you actually lose your capacity. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we're so overjoyed to be with you guys for, for three weeks because I want to still part of, play a part in the kingdom as much as anything else. You know, if you've got to actually keep going, it's actually what keeps you alive and, and keeps things flowing in you. If a car's left in a garage for too long, it won't start, the sludge will pick up in it, it actually needs to be run. So with us, we do better if we're if we're active, which is a bit of a point because I know in church life there's, there's always more to be done than people to do it, and the people who say, yes, I'll do it, uh, can actually get physically worn out doing it. Uh, and But the worst thing you can do, I know people say, well, I'll have a break. Well, that's good, but don't have a permanent break. I've seen people go hard at it. In church life, doing their best, serving and, and expending a lot of energy, then suddenly it'll snap, they'll have a break, but they actually never get back into it and their their spiritual life starts to to decline. So don't let that happen. So physical rest. The, the second thing I want to talk about, and this is probably more important, is soul rest because Jesus said that if you come to me, you'll find rest for your soul. He doesn't say rest for your body. He, he specifically zeroes in on soul rest. So I just want to talk a little bit about what is soul rest. We kind of get the physical rest, and hopefully, we've covered that enough. Um, in my understanding and reading of the Bible, your soul is your mind your emotion, and your will. Together, it's a th- three parts, reflecting the, the Trinity, the God we serve. So I am what I think, I am what I feel, my emotions, and I am what I do, my will. This is my decision, I'm going to do this thing. That's the soul area of your life. Even if you don't know Christ, you still have a soul. And... I would say that most of the mental health issues in our society are not so much from physical exhaustion, but from from soul exhaustion. And um, so, if you if you this is where the the gadgets, the devices, can actually play havoc with our soul rest. And I'm I'm not here to to Tell you how to live your life or whatever. But if you live, if you sleep with your phone next to your bed, and if it makes a little sound in the night to tell you that the message has come, and you can't resist looking at that thing, <laughs> I'm getting a few nods and a few <laughs> going around the place, then. It's got nothing to do with your physical side. We've talked about that, but your soul area is being eroded by that. Your your soul is being invaded when it should be left alone. And uh, you've got to just watch that. I'm not. I haven't got any formula for you, but I'm just saying that a lot of these things that come into our lives to to make us. And actually, because it's your mind and your heart and your will, the more that you allow to come in, the more access there is, which all our devices do that. They put thoughts in your your head. The next thing you know, you're lying there wide awake, not necessarily physically tired, but your soul is churning. It's the restlessness thing, and that thing will kill you. Uh, Our troubled minds, our confused emotions our constant need for decision making and technology does not really help with that um it's interesting now i had to go a hospital for a medical procedure just last week and uh, uh i found myself and i hope you don't lose total confidence in me when i tell you this but i found myself getting anxious about it i kind of was I, I was, I'd like to say, not a worry in the world, but no, I was, I was a bit anxious about it. And uh, so I had to actually, um, I'm, I'm telling you this, not to actually put myself down, but to tell you that we're human beings, we're, we're in this together. We're just going to get rid of that idea that this thing, no, I always just trust Jesus and everything's great. No, sometimes anxiety will attack you. And I had to actually take, and I talked to Joan about it, said, look, I'm feeling a bit anxious about this, and we had to deliberately do what responded to Jesus' invitation. Well, I had to actually deliberately say, no, God, I, I, Jesus, I'm going to come to you, and I want you to, to put rest on my soul. And uh, that, that made the difference, to be honest. But you see, if you don't consciously do it, anxiety can actually uh, play havoc with us, even though we know Jesus. Uh, so I'm putting it out there today to tell you that's something that you've got to deliberately do. It's an interesting uh, uh, scripture in when Jesus was in the garden praying and he says, this is Matthew 26, 38, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. This is Jesus. Do you think that anybody who would have a, a grip on soul rest but he's overwhelmed, his soul is overwhelmed. Do you ever feel that your soul is becoming overwhelmed? If it's not happening now, you can probably remember a time where you've gone pretty close to that, if not there, where your soul just feels overwhelmed. And uh, uh, I, I would say to you that you need to respond deliberately to Jesus' invitation to come and allow Him to put rest In your soul. It's it may seem strange for Jesus to talk about a yoke at the same time that he's talking about rest. And you think a yoke is a thing they put across animals to put them to work. And he says, Come and take my yoke. But it actually, I believe, represents. The absolute core to what I'm talking about this morning, if you miss the issue of the yoke, I I reckon we've missed the whole deal of uh, soul rest, physical rest. There is a yoke. I would say, and I'm just trying to... You may see this, you know, use different words around it. um, But I would say the yoke represents... Demands and expectations in life It's not like we don't have a yoke Let me tell you, you have a yoke It's demands and expectations on your life It may be from your job It may be from those closest to you it May If you're a parent, it may be from your kids If you're a kid, it's probably from your parents There are demands and there are expectations They represent the yoke over our lives. It's the things that drive us to produce, to do stuff. And sometimes, even when we think that we're going to escape the yoke of somebody else and we're going to quit that job, I'm over that boss, he's too demanding, he expects too much from me or whatever, and sometimes that can happen in church life as well, can't do it anymore, the demands are too high, and we get rid of that yoke, we actually put yokes on ourselves. And sometimes... The demands we put on ourselves and the expectations we put on ourselves are the worst possible yokes. And we're struggling under this thing of trying to perform, trying to meet people's expectations, trying to meet my own expectations, Uh, you know, sort of putting my head in my hands, disappointed that I didn't meet my own expectations and so on. That is a yoke. So Jesus comes along and he says, take my yoke. There's a distinction. Jesus' yoke is not your yoke and it's not your boss's yoke. It's nobody else's yoke. It's his yoke. And the thing about his yoke is that it produces sustainability in your life. You can stay eternally able to keep going and to keep producing amazing things out of your life if you will take Jesus' yoke. See, he doesn't say, come to me and I will give you rest and you can do nothing for the rest of your life. How rewarding would that be? He knows that we would hate that. It's like a racehorse is born to run, so we are born to produce. We're born to do something wonderful in our lives. You know, the Ephesians tell us that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus For good works he's preordained for for us to do. There is something wonderful that God has put in your life. Your greatest fulfilment will be doing that. Doing what God created you to be. So what's the difference with Jesus' yoke? Just a couple of things. Because he says that the yoke is easy. He says, my yoke is easy. Now, why is it easy? Well, I... You know, in, in engineering and so on, you can have a fit. You can have a tight fit. You can have a driving fit. You know, if, a, if a pin has got to go into a hole, it can be, the fit can be so tight that you've actually got to drive it in or it can be a loose fit and there is a fit called an easy fit and it means that the pin, the diameter of the pin is just fractionally smaller than the hole so it just slides in beautifully. The fit is easy. And when we take Jesus' yoke upon us, that's what it feels like. It's like, wow, I was born to do this. This is not hard. Sometimes you can look at somebody and you think, how on earth do they do that? And how can they keep doing it? Well, the reason in ministry I'm talking about now, well, the reason is because the fit is easy. It's how they're wired up to do. I think one of the greatest things that we can do, and I haven't got time to take this to another level, maybe there may be other opportunities to do that, is to figure out what God's expectation is from you. Because often it is not what we're expecting. He is actually expecting an easy fit. He's actually expecting that we can do the thing and not be stressed out, not lie in bed worrying ourselves, sick about it. And when we do that, when we actually get into a space, uh, I can remember when we um, first started our church up at Charm Haven and we only had a handful of people. Um, We started with a a little group of about 15 in our lounge room and away we went. And uh, I, I was worship leading. I look back and I think... What on earth were you thinking? <laughs> Bad voice. Couldn't do, I, I? was missing the where you're supposed to start, and the band would be rolling their eyes and think, "What is he trying to do here?" And there wasn't anybody else. Oh, and Sally came up and helped us a lot. But uh, and I, you know what? It just wasn't my fit. And I think sometimes we act when you feel the rub, when you feel the friction, when you feel the discomfort, it could well be because that is not your fit. You actually need to find out what your fit is because then it will be sustainable. It's his yoke. So it's easy and it's light, he says. My yoke is easy and, and burden is light and the reason why it's light is that the yoke goes over two animals and they halve the load. So when we get yoked with Jesus... The load, the burden is halved. We do, we, we've got him alongside us and it actually ah, makes all the difference. Doesn't mean that we don't do anything, but we're yoked to him. It is the best way to live life. It's the best way to reduce stress it is actually the most productive way to you to live life because you you discover that stuff's flowing out of you that you didn't even know was in there because you're doing it with Christ it is the way we we do it to keep soul rest 1 peter chapter 5:7 as when you do it that way and you lie down at night you can pray this prayer on peter 5:7 give all your worries and cares to god for he cares for you and you can find rest for your soul. Just to conclude, I just want to talk a little bit about spirit rest. Physical rest, soul rest, spirit rest. Spirit rest is when you have your sin forgiven, when there's no weight of sin on you. A lot of people don't understand what this where this is coming from some people might call it guilt the weight of guilt um it's just an awareness that there's stuff in your life that, that needs to be forgiven you don't know where to where before you know christ you don't know people fish everywhere trying to do it and they'll do meditation they'll go to to you know all sorts of weird people trying to lift this load of feeling like I'm missing the mark. It actually comes through laying down everything. It doesn't come by what you do, but by putting your trust. That's why the book of Hebrews talks about entering into the rest of God. The rest of God is knowing that your sin is forgiven. And I don't know, I know some of you, I don't know a lot of you, I don't know the people here this morning who who of all the things that I've said, this is the crucial thing, your relationship with God himself, that you're carrying around with you a weight of sin that, that Jesus bled and died for and, and, and he's offering you. He's just saying, come to me, bring your sin to me, let me forgive it and I, I will give you rest.